0: The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are my own or those of my guests, and in no way represent the views of the company or companies that I or we look for. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they are told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is I Identity. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast dedicated to the journey and the challenges surrounding the life and career of Aviator Tony, his co-hosts, and his guests. Together, we will explore the many pathways to an aviation profession, the realities of what a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, an airline pilot currently flying for a legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 52 of Squawk Ident, recorded on the 5th of August 2020, from the Aviator Sound Studios from somewhere in Southern California. On today's show, I'm joined by Squawk Ident crew member and co-host Rob D., who has taken a break from pouring money into his new yacht to join us today. We are recording today as breaking news has spread around the aviation community just hours ago that a group of Senate Republicans are backing the extension of the CARES Act for an additional six months with an additional 25 billion in payroll assistance for US airlines. We will discuss what this potentially means for air crew here in the US. We also have the opportunity to speak with a phenomenal aviator, fabricator, motorcycle gear and racer, who will join us from the AI Systems Incorporated hangar in Redmond, Oregon, where he is currently taking a break from a build of his new Lancer Legacy. I would also like to take this opportunity to thank Captain Chris of Legacy Airlines and Captain Roger and Rob D for joining us on Episode 51, Human Factors, Warn Letters and Diversions, which is now available anywhere you listen to podcasts. To help me kick off Flight 52 of Squawk Ident, allow me to introduce my Squawk Ident co-host. He is a former international and professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club, an AMP in avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, and a 737 pilot for Legacy Airlines. From his fortress of isolation, where he has a garage stocked full of toilet paper, hand sanitizer, and N95 masks. From somewhere in Flower Mound, Texas, help me in welcoming back to the show, Rob D. Rob, what's going on?
1: What's going on, Tony? It's good to be back. Everything's well over here. Yeah.
0: So a couple days since our last recording, have you been up to anything particularly exciting?
1: Nothing particularly exciting. Um, Just uh, getting ready for my trip tomorrow. Got to start at uh, 6.30 in the morning. So as soon as I get done with this, I'm going to Hit the hay, hit the hay and uh, get some rest before I gotta be at work at six thirty show. So six thirty
0: show. What's the trip?
1: Yeah. So it's a two day trip. I've got an Atlanta turn, followed by a San Antonio overnight, and then uh, I got a one leg in from San Antonio. I'm in at like seven thirty in the morning and I'm done. So it's a nice easy two day, ten and a half hours. Uh, not no bad. thrills, no thrills trip, hopefully.
0: That's it. And driving home from uh, from work after a quick day trip is is the way to go.
1: yeah, yeah, it will be pretty easy.
0: Well, I'm very excited today because also joining us from Hangar P of AI Systems Incorporated in Redmond, Oregon, a fantastic aviator that has been chronicling an aircraft build of his Lance air legacy with daily vlogs and posts on his social media pages. He is a 737 pilot, a former Embraer 145 and CRJ pilot, a sport bike track, and moto vid racer. And now he can add aircraft fabricator to the list of talents. Please help me in welcoming to the show, Mr. Jonathan Gruber. Jonathan, what's up, man?
2: Hey, just another long day here creating dust and doing more sanding.
0: You know, it's just so cool to finally get a chance to sit down with you. I've been following your vlogs now for quite some time. Uh, I find it amazing. And I think to myself every time I'm like, man, this guy's talented. Look how, look how knee deep he is in aviation and he's building his own airplane. What do I do? I I need to do something more, you know? Um, But I'm very excited to have you on the show. Welcome.
2: Yeah. I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah. I was just looking, I, I've had 86 posts now, so that would be 86 days that, cause I've, I have been kind of religious about it every day that I've been working, I've done a V log. So, uh, currently 86 days. And I think currently my average is about nine and a half to 10 hours of work a day. So that's already, you know, 800 hours logged, you know, of building time. So it's kind of crazy and I'm far from finished.
0: Yeah well you know every every little modification that you're making every little you know redo of uh, something cuz it's just not right it just goes to show how detail oriented you've been in this whole process and man my hats off to you that's quite a challenge
2: that's it's pretty wild there's there's so many things there's so many aspects you know as far as the bodywork with composites with fabrication of metal with hardware and you know and as as the AMP here would know, just there's a list of talents that I don't fully have yet. I'm growing them, but, um, I'm learning every day and the kind of the smartest thing you can do with one of these builds is surround yourself with people smarter than you. That way you, you know, just through osmosis and just a lot of the lessons learned, whether it be screwing something up or just not doing it perfectly right, or just them catching you before you do something. And then this, Hey, no, 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 you should probably use this technique to do this. Um, particular job. And then you just, that gets put in the back of your brain and then now you can apply it to a hundred things that you're doing in the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it'll save you a lot financially as well. If you have somebody looking over your shoulder, that's, that's wonderful that you have that had that uh, opportunity there.
2: Yeah. The mistakes you can make could cost you yeah dearly and you know, materials or just some, you know, kind of safety factors too, when you're kind of lifting engines and working with landing gear, things like that. So it's, yeah. it's definitely, you spend a little money to get good advice, but that saves you buttloads in the future.
0: Right. Right. And so here at Squawk Ident, we primarily focus on the journey of today's aviator, how they got to where they are. Uh, a lot of our listeners, when they, when they email or or DM or write in, you know, they're constantly asking to hear more about the stories of these, these aviators and, You know, we flew together many years ago over at Sandpiper and, you know, we've maintained a a relatively consistent relationship over social media and been able to keep up with each other. I was very excited to see when you came over to Legacy Airlines uh, with the flow not too far behind uh, Rob and myself, actually. And, um, you know, to see you go through this journey, it's been it's been nice. So let's kind of get started here with how you got started in aviation. I think that's probably the first question that we ask each other when we get in the cockpit and you're flying with someone for the first time, you know, like, you know, did you commute? Sure. Yes. No. Um, you know, and, and what'd you do before this is kind of like one of the, the top three questions. Mm-hmm. So let's start out with that. What sparked this journey for you? How old were you and, and what happened?
2: Well, the the first time I was ever in a small airplane would have been probably when I was maybe eight to 10 years old up in Alaska. I was fortunate enough to go on a 172 with a, a pilot who was uh, we flew around some glaciers and landed on a glacier, and it was super cool. And uh, I just, the, the thing that pointed out in my mind was the fact that this guy was flying, and he just, you know, he had his arm on the side of the window. He was just so relaxed, and here I am thinking, this is the most death defined thing I've ever done. And he's just, <laughs> it's like he's driving down the side of the road, and I just thought to myself, I'll never be that composed or cool to be able to do something like that. Um, so that, that really was just the first time in a small airplane. I thought it was so cool. And then kind of growing up, you know, with kind of Boy Scouts, Civil Air Patrol, it just kind of just brought me towards aviation and always like a lot of us, the story is looking towards the sky and thinking that's something I'd really like to do. Um, and then learning about aviation, and the fact schedules and kind of flexibility and the ability to travel and those kind of things it just really kind of drew me into wanting to fly. Did I know the whole process and how hard it was going to be, the marathon of training and, you know, the continuation of training your entire life? I had no idea about any of that. I just knew, like everybody, just want to put my hands on the controls and get in the sky.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned Civil Air Patrol and Boy Scouts. Were those some avenues that got you started?
2: Yeah, Civil Air Patrol, definitely. Uh, Boy Scouts, not as much just the, the, you know, kind of growing up, wanting to learn new things new skills and all that kind of stuff. And I was in Boy Scouts first and did all that. And then in the, about the middle of high school, got involved with Civil Air Patrol. Cause I heard, well, you know, I, I was very interested in the Air Force and Civil Air Patrol was kind of another thing to boost my resume. And they have a great program for youth to get involved with not only kind of military aspects of learning aviation or learning Air Force, things, but also getting into aviation. Uh, So I did a lot of their flight encampments, flying gliders in central Illinois and uh, small airplanes. And that's kind of what really jump-started my flight training was Civil Air Patrol.
0: Yeah. And so walk me through that process. I mean, do you just go to your local airport and figure out where the nearest Civil Air Patrol office is as a young man and walk in and say, hey, I I want to find out more about it or did you have to go online? How did you work through that?
2: So it's very similar avenues as the boy Scouts, boy Scouts is kind of well-known civil air patrol. Isn't really a, a mainstay. It's not something that you hear every day. Um, but they have uh, online, I, I would assume, at civilairpatrol.gov or similar, civilairpatrol.com. Uh, and you can find a local a chapter or a squadron. Uh, they use all the military terms. So you'd find a local squadron. And they're sometimes co-located with airports, uh, a lot of times not as well. I went to a squadron that was in Forest Park, Illinois, uh, and who the commander of that unit was actually a ramp Uh, coordinator for legacy airlines and he'd been doing that for the past 20 or 30 years i think so it it kind of all molded into uh where it was located near me um but not at an airport we actually met at a i think a um, army depot one of the auxiliary depots where they keep a lot of trucks and things like that um So you have your meetings, you, you join, you wear a uniform, just kind of like you would in the boy Scouts. uh, But there's encampments or summer camps where you go to uh, like great lakes, Naval training station, which is uh, in Northern Illinois or Southern Wisconsin. um, And you just learn about aspects. You take tests, you get, you know, um, promoted just like you would kind of in the Boy Scouts with, you know, Eagle Scout, things like that. Um, the, what really interested me in aviation and civil air patrol was how they were kind of commingled. And so I would get involved with flying airplanes, uh, through civil air patrol.
0: Yeah. Did you actually get to fly airplanes when you're in those first couple years of, of getting into this?
2: Yeah. So civil air patrol, you know, it's not the first thing you do, you know, it's kind of like the, EAA, they do the Young Eagles, where they give kids rides for free, things like that. But Silver Air Patrol, I I kind of took it on, like just like I did Boy Scouts. As long as you want to advance through the ranks, you want to learn about the Air Force, and you kind of you provide service to your community uh, and to the aviation community. Um, after I was involved for maybe a year, year and a half, uh, I was able to get involved with uh, one of their flight instructors that. Uh, out of Palwaukee Airport, or now called Chicago Executive Airport on the north side of Chicago, uh, I was able to kind of get scheduled with him and started doing lessons and actually completed my first solo uh, with through the Civil Air Patrol and one of their aircraft. So um, it probably, yeah, I'd say about a year after I was involved with Civil Air Patrol that I start flying with them.
0: Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Cause a lot of people go, Oh, I go. And right away I get to be in an airplane. Well, it takes a little bit of time and thank you for clearing that yeah, it's up. It's an
2: obligation. Yeah. It's yeah. an obligation where, I mean, it's part of, it's one of the aspects of solar patrol. You don't just show up and go fly. There's a lot of other things uh, that you do.
0: Yeah. And so you did this, uh, was it a couple of years into high school when you kind of started getting into this?
2: Yeah, it was about, I think, just ending sophomore year, maybe starting junior year, where I got involved. And I think by the time I was done with high school, uh, I probably had 30 hours, 35 hours oh, of wow. flight time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, a considerable amount of flying. And it, it really gave me a leg up when I went to college to um, kind of have a, a good working background. You know, I had a solo flight and all this kind of stuff. A lot of guys show up to college with you know, their license, but I figured I could do something. And that was at least get started and get past my solo.
0: I see. And you decided to go to a college over in Florida, uh, which was the uh, Emory Riddle Aeronautical University over in uh, Dayton, Florida. How was that process? Did you just decide, hey, I'm going to stick with aviation and this is a really good school is my best bet? Or was there some other story back there?
2: So there, I, as I got interested in aviation, I kind of knew It's not necessarily that I knew I wanted to fly. It's just, I didn't really hundred percent know what else I would do. So flying kind of fit the bill. It's like, well, yeah, I could go into business. I could go into God knows what else, but flying is something I knew I wanted to do. And I had learned all these aspects about, you know, the lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. I was like, you know what? I, I was lucky enough to say, you know what, that's what I want to do. I kind of came to grips and said, this, this is what I want to put my energy towards. Uh, as far as college went, uh, I was interested in the Air Force Academy and Ember Riddle, and that's kind of why I got involved with Civil Air Patrol, too, because, you know, hey, if I want to go to the Air Force Academy, Civil Air Patrol is a really good start to kind of learn the Air Force and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I applied to the Air Force Academy, also Ember Riddle. Um, I ended up getting physically disqualified from the Air Force Academy because I had some hearing loss in my right ear at the time. And so I, I was conditionally accepted, had my uh, senator's uh, nomination, things like that, but um, uh, didn't pass the medical. And so fortunately, Ember Riddle accepted me. And so I hate to call Ember Riddle my second choice, but it was, but I'm so glad that it worked out in that direction. Yeah. Um, and there was the Daytona campus in Florida and then the Prescott, Arizona campus, and, you know, beach, spring break, dry. Desert, no contest you know, I, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah it was pretty, it was pretty easy decision to, to head down there. Good choice yeah I, I enjoyed my time down there and it was uh, it's a fantastic university i give full support to the school mm-hmm. uh, it is expensive and the costs of flight training have just ballooned you know beyond imagination over the past decade but uh the pedigree of that um without sounding conceited the pedigree of that diploma it, it means something there's so many pilots that come out of that university yeah. um I try and be honest. I mean, I'm just another pilot. You can get your pilot's license anywhere, but I'm, I'm very glad that I went there.
0: Yeah. It's a a quality establishment. They put out a very good product. Yes, it is costly. Um, and, but you know, when you're going through that process, you're, you know, you're going to come out the other side with a, a, just a high quality product of education. And, you know, I'm glad you had the opportunity to go there and share with that, uh, share that with us. Um, did you have any like difficulties in, in those first couple of semesters, uh, in school? Because I know you have to do your university studies, your general education studies, and then kind of migrate into your flight time, uh, slowly throughout each semester. Um, and some people have kind of issue with that. They just want to get it done, done, done. Um, what were some of your biggest challenges in that process?
2: The the process and kind of getting your education in aviation is so changed, you know, now how it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, Embry-Riddle gives you this huge, well-rounded education of, you know, science, math, physics, all this, all this stuff where, that goes in addition to your flight training, uh, and there's no no way I could say the schedule and timekeeping wasn't hard. You know, my flight block was five thirty in the morning, and mm-hmm. you know, as a freshman in college, you know, of course I want to go out and have fun, but I realized I got to be up at five in the morning to go fly. I get done at ten thirty a.m. and then I go to classes all day. Um, so I, I tend to be a pretty highly motivated person, so you made that happen and put in the hours. Um, but difficulties. When I'm sitting in a classroom, and I'm it's uh, aircraft performance, for example, a class, and I've got a retired airline pilot who probably retired in the early '90s, maybe late '80s, and we're doing performance charts from a 727. And now, granted, in those years they were still flying, but when I was in college, but I'm sitting there thinking, why am I? I'm flying a 172 you know, hoping to not bounce the landing three times. Why am I doing a performance landing chart for a 727 or learning? I was going to say,
1: I was going to say that class is probably paying off now because you're flying a 737. So
2: yeah, yeah, it's It's pretty pretty close. close. (laughs) But I mean, I think it was, I can't remember what year in school, but I was, we literally had one of our electronic simulator, you know, computer screens and I'm doing the startup or power up flow and the starting flow for a 747. And, and I didn't realize that I'm, this is monotonous thing. There's so many buttons. I have no idea what's going on. Um, but I realized now that they're just ingraining kind of flows and just progression of training, just like we do in the airlines. Yeah. Um, and that's the structure that they do is perfect for that. You don't realize it at the time. You're just like this means nothing to me, but it, it definitely gave me a leg up when I went to airline training. I was like, Oh, I've seen this stuff before. Yeah. But at the time, it doesn't it doesn't relate to any of the actual flying you're doing. So it's kind of leapfrogging your educational steps when you're flying a 172 or a Piper Seminole and then you're also learning performance charts for a 727. It's it's interesting and it's difficult, but it it helps you in the long run.
0: Yeah. From what I understand, when you were gonna get ready to take the ATP written, uh, which it was, you know, the standard thing once you, you know go through your ratings and whether you go on to get your instructor ratings or not, you're prepping to build time in order to take your ATP written so that at that time you didn't have to have an ATP to get on with an airline, at least Mm -hmm. many years ago, you didn't need that. Um, And so all you had to have is your commercial license and your ATP written completed. And most of the questions on the ATP written in relation to performance were taken right out of the 727 manual. So yep. yeah, yeah it yeah, <laughs> yeah, makes, makes sense. sense, you know, so they're mm-hmm. here, they are training you as a private or instrument uh, pilot. And they're trying to get you to look at these things so that when you look at them later on down the road in your, in your journey, that they're at least familiar. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but a lot of people were frustrated with that. I've heard that many times uh, that, Hey, why am I studying performance on a jet? I'm just trying to go.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, get well, that. we're looking at this this small you know picture right. and you know, they're but it is it was hard you know when you you're there to fly your your goal is to fly airplanes for a living and sure you have your you have your flying lesson you have your ground lesson and then okay uh, I got to go do English well hey if you want a bachelor's degree you have to have a well-rounded education absolutely and that's part of it yeah it's yeah. part of it so um, just one thing you have to accept you know it's just you got to do it.
0: Right. So you did three years there.
2: Uh, Mm -hmm. Any
0: shenanigans in Daytona that you can share?
2: Uh, Daytona shenanigans. Uh, I was part of a fraternity, Phi Delta Theta, uh, Rush Phi Delta. I will uh, plug them. Uh, A fantastic organization that got me involved with so much uh, community volunteering, obviously a large social group, um, and a a huge network of people that um, uh, I can call and do anything with and just hang out with anywhere in the country, actually anywhere in the world, uh, which is a really cool aspect. Um, And I was there in three years because I was actually, um, I worked extremely hard while I was there. I was able to graduate in three years. So um, I held at at least two jobs most of the time I was there as well. So shenanigans were rather low. I'd be the guy showing up to a party at 11.30 p.m. because I just got off work. And all I wanted to do was go to bed. Uh, So it was, it was hard to get into too much trouble while I was down there, but um, definitely got into motorcycles really hard when I was down there. And that was a lot of fun uh, Ah. riding the beach for, you know, spring break and all that kind of stuff. There's bike week, there's race week. There's there's a lot of fun to have in that town. Um, With that being said, I'm glad I went to college there, but I would never want to live there. now. (laughs) I, I had my fun. I don't need to go back.
0: Yeah, you get to a certain age in life I think when you start feeling yourself think things like you, you know, hooligans get off my lawn. <laughs> <You> yeah, <laughs> probably shouldn't be in a town like that.
2: <laughs> mhm. But it, it it was a it was a great place to go. Um and it was a great atmosphere just cuz everybody else at that school is there for the same reason, whether it be electrical engineering to design airplanes, whether it be, you know, be a pilot whether it be business management for airlines or an air traffic controller i met my wife there who's an air traffic controller um so she originally went to design uh, cars but she decided air traffic control is really her calling and it, it's worked out great so um that would be the one shenanigan that i found my wife there and uh, so yeah well nice. that's a good
0: one you know and yeah it, oh,
2: it, I, it's fantastic
0: it's nice to have a a spouse that is uh, in air traffic control because then she'll track your flights and be like uh you're clear direct
2: <laughs> oh that well she tells me what to do at work and at home so it, oh. it, 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 i get it all the time <laughs> but yeah I, i'd be lying if i said i didn't get you know a better clearance sometimes you know allegedly <laughs> allegedly. Yeah, allegedly yeah yeah, yeah it hasn't actually happened it's yeah. the der- fa der- stance is Okay.
1: Say like aircraft calling, standby. Do you get that a lot? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: Get, don't forget to get the milk on your way home and stuff like that. Uh,
0: wow. You know, and Rob's got some connections over in Phoenix as well. I know when he goes in That's there, right. he's mentioned that on the show a few times. It's just like, uh hey, right. my buddy up
2: there. Uh, Clear direct. Yep. Oh. I'm
1: always trying to pull a string or two out there. So,
2: <laughs> I, and it's uh, another thing with uh, kind of my friend network in the fraternity in Florida. I, or, I can go all the way from Maine to Miami, and every center has a fraternity brother of mine that I talk to on a fairly regular <laughs> basis. That is and so, so cool. Yeah. And, and so there, back when the days I was flying in Ember 145, where we couldn't go more than 50 miles offshore, my buddies would be giving, you know, I'd be over Virginia or even sometimes New York, and they'd say, Oh, clear direct Ormond Beach, which would put you 150 miles offshore. And so we obviously couldn't accept that clearance and say, well, Hey, thanks a lot, Paul, or thanks a lot, buddy. But yeah, we can't accept that we (laughs) got to stay on flight plan route, but we appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, membership has its privileges, you know, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So Mm -hmm. you, uh, you did this and after graduation, you ended up back at home in the, the windy city in Chicagoland, and you ended up getting a job as a flight instructor. How did you get that job? And what was that like?
2: So I graduated college and came back to Chicago and I didn't actually move back home. Uh, oh. my father was of the mindset, Hey, I, I got you to 18. You're on your own. Um, so that was, uh, <laughs> that was, uh, you know, no, I, I mean, I paid rent when I was in Florida, but Hey, coming back to Chicago and, you know, Got, a, got an apartment and, uh, literally started cold calling, uh, flight schools. Cause this was back in, you Oh, know, Oh 0- six. And so jobs weren't just readily handed out. That's for sure. Especially airline jobs. Um, so I, uh, called a couple schools and I did a couple interviews and fell, uh, into an interview at Northwest aviation, which was in Schaumburg, uh, a little airport just West of O'Hare, just just about six miles west of O'Hare and did kind of the standard, you know, knee-shaking interview with a a round table of all their flight instructors, the owner and me, and they had never met anybody from Ember Riddle. Oh, this guy's, you know, he's got to be hot stuff or something. Um, But I did find out the only reason they really hired me uh, was one, they needed another guy, but I also had my MEI, which a lot of them didn't have. Uh, so, and they had a multi, and of course I need to kind of pay my dues and, uh, you know, teach private, teach some instrument. Uh, but they, in essence, they needed another multi-instructor for down the road so that I fit the bill and I kind of, I have the CFI double I and the MEI. So that really kind of helped. And hopefully I can put on a a shirt and tie and speak well-educated for a couple minutes to fool them that I was deserving of the job.
0: And and you were very successful because uh, you you landed the job, uh, but it didn't last very long because you got picked up pretty quick. What can you tell me about your transition to the 121 operator?
2: It was um, it was fairly quick. I, I did a summer of flight instructing in Chicago and was very fortunate enough to, through friends that I had made and connections. Uh, I had a, a very glowing letter of recommendation sent to the hiring board at air Wisconsin and uh, went up and interviewed. And it was, it was a very nice experience and it was a very surprising experience. I didn't expect it to go the way it did. They did a little, um, a tiny bit of technical, uh, and, but more HR, Hey, you know, what would you do in this situation? That kind of stuff. Um, but, I was blown away every check ride, every class that I had had in school. And even my interview at the flight school, it was very technical. They they want to know nuts and bolts and charts and things like that. But at Air Wisconsin, uh, my interview was just very simple. The most basic thing I could have imagined, which um, was good. You know, it, it was, I hate to call it easy, but I was well prepared for it. Um, and fortunately, fortunate enough, I did well enough that they offered me a job. And so Uh, That fall, I was in a new hire class in Appleton, Wisconsin, you know, in the middle of nowhere uh, with, you know, 20 or 30 other guys. I'm probably not that many, maybe 15 or 20 other guys. Um, But I learned very quick that this is completely different from anything I've ever done. Um, Ember Riddle trains you kind of like an airline would train you, which is helpful, but still it's different. Um, The fire hose that you get, of jet systems and all that kind of stuff is far more complex than anything i had flown before Um, and you if you don't take it seriously you're not going to make it and so um, it's not a college atmosphere it's hey you're getting paid to be here act like it and which of course i did uh but not everybody made it through class because of that fact you know some guys are going out drinking or they're just not taking the studying seriously You're getting paid to be here. It's your job. It's what you've done years of training for. So, uh, do it. So that was kind of the biggest, biggest thing. You see people fail in school, but that's because they're young and they you know haven't grown up yet. But when you see somebody fail as a kind of a grown adult, it brings a different meaning and it kind of proves to you, hey, I am here because I want to be here and I know I need to work for it.
1: Was there Wisconsin the uh, the only carrier you applied for, or did you apply at uh, other carriers?
2: Uh, at the time, I believe Air Wisconsin was my only resume that I had out. And I I got hired with 657 hours total time. I was going to
1: say, were well, the minimums there, so 650 yeah. and one or something. Oh,
2: I, I had 58 hours of multi. I didn't wow. even have 100 hours of multi. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I, like I said, I had a very good connection there, um, and my time was low. And, you know, I was working on getting multi-time every day I could. Yeah. Um, but I was fortunate enough to get picked up pretty quick. Um, but yeah, going with that little multi-time into a jet, you know, it was an uphill battle just uh, systems-wise. I'll say. Sure. Yeah. I didn't think I had enough hours to get hired anywhere, so yeah, the minimums were either a thousand and one or six fifty and one or things like that. So the only reason I had my application in there was because my friend walked my stuff in. That uh, is. Other- so otherwise. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, it was wild. And, you know, just like we've all been at a flight school, you've got 10 instructors in a room and you see Billy get hired and you, it's the happiest and ticked yeah. off you could be at somebody. You're like, yeah. oh, when's my <laughs> chance? And, so
1: how, how long was the process from the time that you, you, uh, handed your resume over to your friend and he walked it into the time you were actually sitting in a, in class?
2: I would call it less than, less than two months, maybe around two months. Um, That's still pretty It's pretty fast. Yeah, it's pretty fast in those days. Um and yeah, I absolutely am completely fortunate on how uh that worked out. But I mean, as we all know, networking is the biggest factor uh in trying to get a step ahead, you know. And yeah. I was twenty one years twenty-one years old when I hired at my first, you know, one twenty-one carrier. Um which was cool but you know i I had my whole plan set i was going to upgrade at 23 at the bare minimum age and atp would allow you i was going to be hired at southwest at 25 you know i had this whole (laughs) oh yeah yeah you know you have one of those plans too huh yeah yeah (laughs) bang zoom wow yeah i'm on i think i'm on plan f or g yeah
1: yeah
0: yeah, yeah, I'm a double. F. I'm a double letters already. Double A, double B.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Zulu, Zulu. Turn exactly. Left on Zulu,
0: Zulu. Oh, so you you actually you got in at a very young age, um, mm. and you know you got in. You got on the CRJ. Uh, it's just it's a great aircraft, especially when you're transitioning from general aviation to come into a one twenty one operation. You know, it, it, the CRJ is going to have all the basics: your glass cockpit, your your multi mm-hmm. systems, your FMSs. Uh, you know, all the going to be up there at thirty seven. What, what was the max ceiling on that thirty eight thousand?
2: Oh, was I was not told this was going to be a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: No, no worries, uh, no worries. But you know, 41, so
2: forty one thousand, but uh, Air Wisconsin ops specs would only allow us to thirty nine.
0: Thirty nine, yeah, because I know uh, there was a particular carrier that. In Los Angeles years ago, we're talking about eight nine years ago. Took a CRJ two hundred to try it out at max service mm. ceiling and ended up doing a high altitude stall and had <laughs> flamed out. I think. No bueno. <laughs> yeah, no one bueno. FA didn't like that very much. So yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, always respect the the manufacturer and your airline's limitations to service ceilings because they're there mm. for a reason. Um, but yeah, so you, you got on with Air Wisconsin. Weren't there too long because you ended up at an airline that we have in common, over at an airline that we call Sandpiper Regional. Now, Sandpiper was, for the longest time, one of the largest regional airlines mm-hmm. in the country, uh, with multiple bases around the entire country from coast to coast, flying a myriad of aircraft when you got on there what was the reasoning behind changing carrier i mean you're already established you got a pretty good go- uh, job and you're you know building time in the right seat what caused the change
2: so i i got hired at air wisconsin uh, and then in october of 06 and then they hired maybe one maybe two classes after me and then they stopped hiring Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, at the very bottom, uh, I maybe had one or two guys uh, beneath me in Philadelphia. I was living in Chicago, commuting to Philadelphia. So obviously that's, that's a strain, um, being the new guy, bottom of, uh, your city and then commuting to it. I was ready reserve and they mm-hmm. had kind of the hot ready sitting at the airport for eight hours a day. Um, so not great. And I would, and air Wisconsin, how they use the ready reserves was completely opposite of other regionals where their ready reserve is the last guy they use. And so I never flew. I think in the 10 months or 11 months I was there, I want to say I got 117 hours if I'm remembering right. Wow. Um, yeah. And so wow. I wasn't flying. And so I thought, well, Hey, here's the sandpiper. They're a huge airline. They've got five or three times the number of pilots or four times the number of pilots. They have, you know, 17 domiciles where Air Wisconsin had three, um, and then they had uh, failed to get new contracts, like two or three contracts while I was there. So I hate to say the writing was on the wall, but I just said, hey, I want to live in Chicago. I want an airline that's based in Chicago. And so that was a huge reason. And then also they were hiring. Sandpiper was hiring uh, pilots where Air Wisconsin wasn't. So I decided to make the switch before I went on second-year pay. I didn't want to get a pay bump and then go back down to first-year pay.
0: Yeah. You decide you put your app out and... Did they just, was it the only app that you put out there? Was that Sandpiper or did so you say nobody you're...
1: walked that one in today?
2: <laughs> no, I, I didn't have, I had nobody that walked me. I, you know, I probably had generic letters of recommendation, but I had no specific, uh, people walk that in for me or anything. I just put it in on airline apps, I think, or whatever the standard was back then, or yeah, I can't remember. That's the one I
0: use. Yeah. Airline yeah. app.
2: Yeah. yeah. And then I got a phone call within a couple of weeks probably because I was 121 would be my guess. So I was coming from another airline, but I got a call in a couple of weeks, did the standard interview and got a, got a letter to get hired. And it just, I, it seemed like a no brainer for me.
0: Yeah. And, and not having to commute, we've said it before, uh, you know, be prepared to commute if you're just starting out and you get a job at your first 121 carrier, you know, cause you're, more than likely not going to be able to live in base and you'll need a crash pad and all these things. But, you know, normally eventually with time, six months, a year, maybe even a year and a half, you can start holding a line that's commutable or you can transfer out of base and, and go to a base that's a little bit closer for you. If not in your home base Um, and life gets better, but you saw the writing on the wall that uh, it just wasn't going to happen. And so you went to fly for an airline that was in base. You could drive to work. I mean, that mm-hmm. must've been a complete so, night and day
1: experience for you. So with Sandpiper was Chicago, your first domicile? Then, it was that available uh, as a choice through training.
2: It was when the, one of the main reasons I wanted to come over, was because they, they were hugely advertising age, hey, choose your base, you know, come to, oh, come yeah, to, Mer- come to Sandpiper and we'll, we'll give you your choice of domicile. So, I mean, air Wisconsin was never going to get a Chicago base again. Right. Yeah. you know, <laughs> for, you know, at least yeah. 15 years, but, for sure, um, for sure. yeah. yeah. So it, it made sense. Hey, and I, when I interviewed, I said, I'd like to be in Chicago. They said, you you will get it. And so it, it just made sense. Um, now of course, three years later, I ended up moving out of Chicago because of my wife's employment anyway. So I commuted, but the, the main reason coming over was allowing me to be at home more, you know, better quality of life is guaranteed better quality of life. Yeah. I think we totally get it. -hmm. Totally get
0: it. And did you uh, find the process getting hired over at Sandpiper uh, the same as what you went through with Air Wisconsin, or were there some differences there you like to talk about?
2: Uh, Much bigger airline. Sandpiper obviously was the the little brother of uh, Legacy Airlines, and so it was much more structured. There was we got all the kind of trimmings that Legacy had in regards to. Uh, computer systems, the whole ecosystem was a lot more formal. With Air Wisconsin, uh, you used kind of some third-party websites for scheduling and things like that, where Sam Piper really kind of had it locked down, uh, for better or worse on some things. But uh, a much more strict training department with much higher regiment, um, which is good and bad, but uh, definitely a more formal environment, being in a legacy training center, things like that.
0: Yeah. And how long were you there? You were there on the 145 as a first officer, then you upgraded. Did you upgrade on the same aircraft or you went to the CRJ?
2: So I was eight and a half years as an FO, not that anybody's counting and uh, probably not as long as you guys. But, uh, when I upgraded, I upgraded on the Canada or the CRJ 700 that we had in Chicago, much smaller fleet, but it was, uh, the, f- I bypassed my first upgrade on purpose because I was a senior FO. I wanted the quality of life. Uh, and then, Weird timing, I actually displaced myself into the captain's seat uh, in order to not get a seat lock. So that was kind of a fun fun bidding game when all that went down. Um, Because I I took the CRJ-700 displacement as a captain, knowing that if I didn't like it, I wasn't seat locked. I could bring myself to the 145 as a captain if I wanted to do that.
0: So let's talk about that. You bring up a very good point, and I really don't think we've ever taken the time to explain that on the show so when you work at an airline it is very much a seniority based um, promotional standing so you know you get hired you're at the bottom of the seniority list you get reserve crappy schedules and as your seniority builds as more and more people come into the job under you Uh, and the company grows, or more and more people retire or leave off the top, you move up in seniority. That allows you to gain better domiciles, better aircraft, whatever works better for you. You just have to kind of figure out what your formula is and do your best to obtain that. Now, when it comes time to becoming a captain, it is not a merit-based promotion. It is a promotion 100% reliant upon... Your seniority. So, if your seniority is uh, halfway or so up the list of the total number of pilots, usually they'll have a, a vacancy that pops up. You'll get a notification uh, via email or whatnot saying, "Hey, there's going to be a big vacancy bid." Everybody knows what their seniority is and where their standings are because your quality of life depends on it. So, you for or you uh, skipped over your first opportunity to upgrade on a vacancy, because like you said, you wanted that quality of life. You wanted to be at home and have the line and, and pick your schedule and whatnot, your vacations. And then you mentioned that you waited until you were displaced into the left seat. Now, what's the difference for our listeners? What is the difference between being displaced versus filling a vacancy?
2: So essentially a vacancy or a preference, uh, I'm here and I want to be here. So, um, I, I put in a preference that I want to go to that other place that I want to be. And if my seniority can hold that, uh, I'll be awarded it because that's what I wanted. Um, so that would be our vacancy bid, uh, for kind of for promotions in other times when, uh, let's say an aircraft is going away or we're downsizing an airline or, um, Schedules are reduced or anything like that. And they don't need as many pilots in a certain position. They'll displace pilots. So if there's 100 pilots flying in Embraer, but the company says, well, we only need 90, that means 10 pilots uh, are going to essentially lose that spot. And they'll be displaced into another airplane or another domicile or another uh, seat, whether it be first officer or captain. So that's kind of my situation where uh, they were reducing the size of my fleet in my city. And so I used that opportunity to say, well, hey, if you're going to take me out of the right seat of this airplane, why don't you put me in the left seat over here? And that was, that was my first option in the bad direction, the displacement direction. Well, it just, just so happened that I displaced from first officer to captain, which isn't a common thing. It's just kind of how it worked out in my scenario.
0: Yeah, so you but got... A
2: displacement, I guess, the simplest way to put it, a displacement would be your backup plan, where a preference would be your, your goal, where you want to get to. That's right.
0: Rob, have you ever been displaced uh out of a seat or airplane?
1: Uh just out of a base. So uh I was uh upgraded initial in and I had uh, New York or JFK and then um I bid for and was awarded Chicago and then we had the bankruptcy and uh I was displaced back to New York because there wasn't enough uh didn't have enough room for me as a captain in Chicago, but I could hold captain in New York. So that was a displacement. You know, I I had that as a displacement um, preference in there. So So you displaced out of New York. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So commute just ended up having to commute to different city, but you know, uh, throughout that whole process, I think we talked about it a long time ago. I was close to like the last, 10 guys as far as being the junior most captain in the company <laughs> for close to a year. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no upgrades going on. So airport standby, I know what that's all about. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I was very fortunate around that time. Um, I, and I've mentioned it before, but, uh, for any new listeners, uh, I went through a process where I was given a captain upgrade class as my very first preference. And, I was given a class date and we were all excited, you know, after all these years, finally it's happening. The company's growing. This is great. And then that upgrade class, about a month into it, it got pushed back a month, 30 days. And I thought, oh, that's weird. But it happens. Maybe they're just, you know, inundated over there at the training center. And, you know, then that turned into, oh, the company's, the parent company's declared bankruptcy. Oh, Your class has been canceled. Okay, (laughs) so now what? You know, but it only took about six months to the to the credit of the powers at B, and I ended up getting a preference bid awarded into a left seat, same aircraft in the Embraer, uh, but it was uh, the New York base. So I was commuting L.A. to New York to be the number two from the bottom. For eight months, uh, I think I was home three days a month because i had wow. I burned an entire day commuting, getting in close to midnight, hauling my bag over to a crash pad in queens <laughs> new york uh and to to ride the public transit in the morning to get the j f k to sit airport ready at six a m wow. So and they wouldn't call you. <laughs> Nine out of ten, yeah. they wouldn't call you. So I did JFK eight months of was, that.
1: Was rough. Yeah, yeah. JFK uh, was rough because the operation was so small there. Yeah, you know, they rarely rarely use you, and sometimes they bust you over to a uh, to La- LaGuardia. To yeah. yeah, it was very rare.
0: Yeah, and I had somebody beneath me, uh, one person beneath me, uh, who his crash pad was across the street from LaGuardia. So I knew that he really needed that more than I did. Cause I was halfway in between the two being in, uh, in Q gardens. So yeah, I did eight months of that. And then I got a voluntary, uh, vacancy award for Chicago and that Chicago LA commute's not too bad. So that's, I've been very lucky that I've never really been displaced out of seat, um, or, or anything like that. So, but thank you for clearing that up. Uh, so you, 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 did a great move there by seeing the opportunity to be displaced as an upgrade. And that, like you said, mm-hmm. it is relatively rare. Uh, you're, you had a long time there over at Sandpiper. Have you had any, uh, exciting flights that you'd like to share with us that that you had to contend with?
2: Uh, I had smoke in the cabin, uh, one time, uh, with Zeke Basquez. Uh, that was fun. I'm sure think- I, I'm sure. Sh- yeah, yes. Yeah. So, um multiple diversions for many reasons, uh medical, somebody when I was a captain, somebody passed out in the back and I can say I knowingly broke a uh, federal regulation of 250 below 10. I did 310 knots until about uh you know, 6 miles from the airport to get somebody on the ground as quickly as possible. Um and just the general, you know, kicking drunk guys off airplanes and just dealing yeah. with rampers or maintenance or broken airplanes. I've I had windshields crack uh, in flight at altitude. Uh, that was actually kind of spooky. Um,
0: How many layers?
2: Because it, uh, it was the inner layer. It was just the inner oh. layer. But yeah, the inner layers, uh, you could. It, it was, you know, shards of glass came off on me. And when you turn the airplane, actually, you'd hear the glass kind of creak.
1: Ooh, so your frame would bend
2: and, and exactly. Yeah. yeah. That was a spooky one. Um, besides that, uh, had a pedo system blockage up at altitude, had it get frozen. So had the whole, um, uh, you know, um, airspeed indicator turn into an altimeter on me, um, so yeah, the, the, um, but zero fatalities under my watch so far. So, uh, it's, it's been a good career. Yeah. Well
1: done, captain. Well done. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so
0: you, you spent some time there at, at Sandpiper uh, a little more than, was it 12 years by my calculation?
2: Uh, yeah. 12 years to the date, uh, eight and a half as an FO did the captain check airman thing and sim instructor thing. Um, kind of did all of it there.
0: Yeah. And tell me about the uh, sim instructor uh, position. Was that something that you really got a lot out of or was it just something to bite your time and do something different?
2: Uh, it was. There was a carrot, you know, put out in front of me to do it. Uh, I had applied to be a uh, line check airman and I was told flat out no. Um and, uh, just not because of who I was, you know, it's kind of a good old boys club and they weren't hiring at the time, uh, or not hiring that many. And I just didn't make the cut. Um, so I didn't get a line check airman position when I, when I had asked for one, but a couple months later, they had put out a notice that they needed some SIM instructors. Uh, and I actually got a phone call. I didn't even apply, but one of the guys down in the training center um, actually called me and said, Hey, we know you applied for a line check airman position. Um, how about we do a deal? We'll make you a sim instructor and then, uh, we'll, we'll give you line check airmen as well. Cause it makes sense to have you dual qualified. And I said, okay, well, that sounds great, but I don't live in Dallas and all of our sims are in Dallas. I live in Chicago. Oh, well, don't worry about that. We'll give you uh, paid tickets down to Dallas. We'll pay for your hotel and we'll pay you per diem.
1: Wow! And I was like, well,
2: I was like, you guys really need sim instructors, don't you? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> And so I, you know, I, of course they didn't, you know, they weren't trying to treat me special. They they just needed guys down there. Yeah. So, um, there, there were some pay incentives too. You kind of got management pay 95 hours a month instead of, um, 75, I was getting on reserve and I was yeah. reserve captain. And so, you know, I kind of got to pick my schedule. I got a paid hotel per diem, you know, so financially it made sense. And of course it's a good resume booster. Um, and I came a line check airman, which I would want to do. and. um it also got me off reserve and I enjoy instructing and it was an, it was a, a rewarding experience. I will give it that. There's so many times where it's so frustrating being in the instructor seat, watching guys fail after you just brief them on exactly what they're going to fail on. But, it, um, but it was rewarding. I'm sure guys would say I was a jerk sometimes, but I, I'd like to say I was fair and I, um, I enjoyed what I did.
0: Yeah. I think all three of us have, uh, Filled those roles, at least the Czech Airman role. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. One of the most uh, rewarding times in my career so far, uh, hands down. Same so, here. Yeah. You're in good company um, mm-hmm. in that respect. So speaking of being out there on the flight line and you've got a new hire in the seat next to you. And, you know, they, they've they've been qualified. The FAA has type rated them. They're they're blessing in the aircraft. They can fly it revenue and all and they get in the airplane and they're like wow now what this is real this isn't a sim this, there's no pause button here um what's the most uh probably nervous student that you've had and how did you handle it <sighs>
2: Uh, The majority of, so I, I would say the last year and a half that I was uh, at uh, Sandpiper, I was the majority, I'd say 70 to 80% in the SIM and then 20%, 30% doing line checks uh, from the jump seat, or uh, I did a lot of captain upgrade uh, IOE. Mm -hmm. So I, I had only maybe one or two new higher FOs and those guys were nervous, but they, they were on the ball. Because they were giving it their all, energy and everything. You know, it was like a puppy, they're just a ball of energy and they didn't know where to put the ball. Um, so th- I didn't have any real issues with new hires. I had more issues with captain upgrades. Really? Because, uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was probably the most frustrating part of when I was uh, a Czech airman or an instructor. The captain upgrades were just like all of us, we sat for a first officer for how many years? And now granted these guys were upgrading in four five, six years instead of us yeah. much longer, but um, <laughs> yeah, or two years. Yeah. Even less. Yeah. They, Cause when I was, but need, need, I say more on that, but the, these guys would be in the left seat. And let's say for example, in Chicago, I, I had a student an upgrade who was a CRJ FO. He was now a CRJ captain. And like you said, the FA or, you know, Sandpiper's uh, designated pilot examiner uh, said, yep, he's good to go. He can fly the airplane. Then he comes to Chicago to do IOE. He had been in Chicago. He had been in the CRJ for a number of years. So he should know the airplane and he should know Chicago. Well, just the blinders went over his eyes and he had no idea what he was doing. Um, And that's really frustrating to see as somebody that's just come out of the simulator world that he's flown the airplane before he's been in this airport before and he has no idea what's going on. And so you try and, guide them through it as best you can. And my hands are tied to a certain extent. I'm in the right seat. So there's only so much I can do with the airplane on the ground as far as taxing and things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, I won't say any names of course, but at the end of the day, we, I think we did four legs and it was so bad that I, I negated his IOE and said, you're done. We need to send you back to Dallas to get more training in the simulator it's not not that it wasn't safe it was never unsafe it just wasn't valuable training in the aircraft with revenue passengers with the time constraint so it's terrible and i'm sure you guys have been there but it's terrible to have to tell someone i'm sorry you're nowhere near good enough and and i have to send you backwards you know you have to climb back up the stairs
0: yeah yeah and it's tough because you want to see all of your your students, as we call them, even though they're, they're not technically your student, they're a new hire, but, Mm -hmm. um, or a captain upgrade, but you, you want to see them all succeed, you know, and their victories are your victories because you want to be able to sign all the paperwork and feel good about it and not worry that, okay, is this going to come back to bite me? Um, so yeah, that is very frustrating. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's also interesting to hear that, you know, some of the more frustrating, Experiences for IOE, which is initial operating experience for those listeners that that may not understand the term, uh, which is your first experience in the actual aircraft after you've been type rated, got your license and you're all good. Um, and, And that's it's frustrating to hear. But it's interesting also to hear that there was upgrades that may have not have really brought their A game. To the, to the game. But, I mean,
2: look at the timing difference. When we upgraded, we had eight years at the airline. These guys had a year, maybe two years, and they were a lot younger. And some, I mean, as we all know, attitude is 10 times more important than skill. We can train your skill. We can't train your attitude. Very and true. so if, if you're not bringing the attitude that's going to allow us to teach you or allow you to learn, we can't do anything for you. Um, in, in that regard, and, and you you try and break down that brick wall as best you can to get through to a student uh, to improve. And but yeah, it's frustrating seeing somebody who's been at the airline in an airplane and they're completely lost. And you're like, yeah, it shouldn't be like that. We need we need to get you some more training.
0: Yeah. So in 2018, you made the switch. You your number was up. They called you. They said, congratulations, John. You are now going to Legacy Airlines through the flow through. And there you were in October. What was that experience like?
2: Uh, it was, uh, I'm not going to say anticlimactic, but it was something we had all worked and earned and waited for. And, you know, I hate to say earned because we sat there and we waited. You know, it was a contractual obligation of Legacy Airline to allow us a seat at the table when our number came up. And so I am a guy that tries to work hard and get ahead and, uh, you know, part of this flow through was you can't work hard to get ahead. you just have to wait your turn. Um, and so not in no way did I feel it was owed to me it's just part of the agreement. I showed up, I was happy to be there, and of course, it's the goal. We all wanted to get to a legacy airline, and I was there, and so it's almost that burden off your shoulder that finally i've made it. I can relax, I can sit back and enjoy the rest of my career undaunted with having to make another step. i'm here. So that was kind of nice. And of course, for your spouse or anybody that's with you, uh, your family that has been rooting you on for years and years and years, hey, you made it. And so it's kind of that justification of all those long hard hours and training and you know, dealing with commuting to LaGuardia and sitting ready reserved, you know, those kind of things.
0: Yeah. So you made right on, it man. And you know, relatively seamless transition. You get on over to legacy and did you anticipate this kind of thing happening where you were wondering if you were going to get furloughed or not just a few years down the road?
2: Not a clue. I said oh, we'll never get furloughed. we are hiring a thousand people a year. This is going to be great. We've got a furlough buffer. Um, I mean, it was never an option not to take the flow for a guy like me at my age. And so, you know, it's, it's a risk. There was always a risk. And we knew that, um, everybody that came over hey but all the signs said hey things are going to keep going but absolutely not i never would have thought six months ago we'd all be in the position we're in right now and but it's 10 year cycle you just kind of roll with the punches as we go 10 years uh, Yep.
0: yep, yep. yeah that's very cyclical industry and you know we've we've talked about this many times on the show we'll be right back right after the break have to kind of dig in and roll with the punches and hopefully you've made smart financial decisions where you can wait it out and you know we got some uh, news we're going to talk a little bit about a little bit later but first i want to talk about that beast right behind you over there so tell me how you got into this uh, idea that you wanted to build your own airplane
2: so the um Part of kind of my airline career. We were all first officers and we were all stagnant for a long time, and aviation was getting a little stale for me. And uh, my wife kind of noticed that and was nice enough to get me a flight lesson in a helicopter. And dumb move on her part because I really enjoyed it. And so now I, I have to go get my <laughs> helicopter's license. And so, you know, little did she know. So, but then it was so nice of her and it reignited my passion for aviation in general and general aviation. And so since that day, um, general aviation re-became a huge part of my life, um, and, which, and actually part of our lives. We fly together all the time. Um, so that's the beginning of the story, which is seven, eight years ago, and uh, which kind of culminated in me buying an aircraft. I joined a couple of fractional ownerships of small airplanes, but I, I bought an RV-6, a Vans RV-6, uh, from a friend of mine uh, two and a half years ago. And it's an experimental aircraft made by Vance, a side-by-side tail dragger. Um, But every time I'd go somewhere, someone would be, hey, that's a sweet RV-6. That's really cool. The next question was always, did you build it? That was always 100 people I'd say, hey, sweet RV-6, did you build it? And the answer was, no, I didn't. I bought it flying, but I'll tell you, I've probably got 300 hours of build time into it. Um, you know, put a new panel in it, did gear fairings, wheel pants, so many things. Um, but my name wasn't on the data plate. Um, I was not the manufacturer of the airplane, um, which was okay because I bought an airplane knowing that I didn't build it because I wanted to fly. My interest is flying and that's what I do for a living. And that's what I do for a hobby. Um, and I flew the living crap out of that airplane for two years, but in everything in life, we always want to go higher, faster. Uh, and more comfortable. And so, uh, this aircraft behind me is that it's higher, faster, more comfortable. Um, and I was searching for probably a good six months, just kind of keeping my ear to the ground. And these kits come for sale every now and again. Um, but this kit right here is actually 20 years old. And I was able to find this kit for sale, uh, through a broker, um, or a broker was selling it. And I decided, you know what? Uh, I think it would be cool to build an airplane. Um, I, I'd say I had a 30% concept of what I was getting into maybe 35% concept. Um, but so I knew I wanted to have smart people around me, but I also wanted to have my name on the airplane. You know, I, I wanted to be in, integrally involved in the build. I wanted to do the building. And, uh, so, that, so when somebody asked, me, Hey, that's a really sweet Lancer legacy you got there. Did you build it? Yes, I did. And so that's kind of the, the, the culmination of that is, uh, I'll tell you what, I enjoy flying more than I enjoy building, but I really enjoy building. So that tells you how much I enjoy flying. Yeah.
0: Too. Yeah. That process, though, as well. I mean, you're learning as you go and you're developing new skills that are going to last you a lifetime. And who knows what happens if we all end up being furloughed for a period of time. You know, I think my, there might be an AMP certification around the corner there for you, buddy.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm working, you know, I'm logging my hours. I've got AMP IAs that are in the area that, you know, can track the hours that I'm doing as well. Of course, I'm a long ways away from having an AMP license, but the a, a lot of AMPs would say this Robert Price. An AMP is just a certificate. It's exactly. not it's not a huge knowledge base. It's just a certificate, just like a pilot's license is a license to learn an AMP certificate is is the same thing. Um, so I, I'd love to front load myself with knowledge and then eventually get the certificate. The beauty of building this airplane myself with assistance is that with my name on the data plate, I'll be able to do all the maintenance to this airplane. So I'll never technically need an AMP or an IA to do any work on this airplane. Um, I'll be able to do all of it.
0: Nice. Oh, I did awesome. not know that. That's very cool because your name is mm-hmm.
2: the, the manufacturer. Correct. Yeah. I'll, I'll have what's called a repairment certificate for the specific aircraft. So um, this tail number or this serial number of aircraft, uh, I'll be able to do the uh, conditional inspections, otherwise known as an annual inspection for the certified aircraft world. But even if I sell this airplane down the road to somebody else, I'm still the only one that's allowed to do uh, a non-AMP licensed mechanic. I'll be the only one allowed to do a conditional inspection on oh. this airplane.
0: Very cool. So do you mind, uh, could you give us a little view of, uh, the airplane so far in the build?
2: Sure. Yeah. So I'll just walk around, kind of give you a little walkthrough. Of course, it's very dirty. There's tools everywhere. And just the first thing always people say, is, what are all these different colors? Why are you tie dyeing your airplane? Uh, and this, this is all carbon fiber here. So, um, the black stuff you see is carbon fiber, uh, the whites or yellowish stuff you see is fiberglass. So when you're doing with a composite aircraft, uh, metal gets riveted together and whatever the metal, however it sits, it sits. And that's how it's going to be with composites. We can make it very, very smooth. So what we've got here is carbon fiber moving to layers of body filler. So this would either be micro, which is kind of a resin filled with ceramic beads or all fair, which is an epoxy based, um, I hate to call it Bondo cause it's much better than Bondo. Um, it's epoxy based. So it actually, um, contracts and expands the same amount as uh, carbon fiber. So you don't get cracks. Uh, so that's what that is. That's layers of bodywork that you put on and then you sand to make smooth. So this is just incredibly smooth transitions, uh, going to the most important part of the airplane. You've got the horsepower part, this green tape is literally just protective so we don't scratch things when we're uh, doing doing stuff. So this is a 310-horsepower Continental IO550. Uh, this was a factory rebuilt by Continental. So it just got delivered about two weeks ago or a week ago from Alabama. Um, currently, we're working on getting the nose gear rails set in the correct position um i actually have weight off the nose wheel right now so you can see the nose gear going up and down so when the nose gear is going to go up it's actually there's a mechanical connection that brings the nose gear doors with it so um, along with all that work we're fitting the engine cowling too this is a a dummy prop you can see the propellers are very short Uh, It's actually off of um, an aircraft that had a prop strike so they cut them short and you can uh, use that to fit your cowling so just kind of moving around, um, inside the gear. Well, we've done a lot of work with, uh, hydraulic lines, sequence valves, and then actually painting the inside to make it look nicer and uh, protect against hydraulic fluid. And you can see more of that body work. And, um, created a baggage door this is kind of a specific thing we did for this airplane it's not standard Um, instead of just having a window here we did a lot of work to make a baggage door so you can get into the uh, back a lot easier to put your bags and things like that once again more just fiberglass and carbon fiber Uh, just dirty as heck but all the structure that's going to eventually be covered with avionics interior all that kind of stuff Um, and we've got the tail over here, and we've got the plane on what's called a rotisserie. It's on a tail stand, and then in the front uh, the rotisserie, you can actually rotate the aircraft uh, upside down. And some of the vlogging I've shown uh, being able to do that, and it allows you to work on the bottom of the airplane when you've got it flipped upside down. So very, very cool to be able to do that, but it's uh, kind of a, it's a lot of work.
1: Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Will that aircraft be pressurized? or? Uh... It will...
2: No the uh this aircraft won't be pressurized it has on the canopy that you see behind me there's actually going to be an inflatable seal that goes along the rim of the canopy so that'll keep out a lot of noise and low low, low uh, frequency vibrations and noise but no not pressurized at all i'll be able to go up i'll have oxygen for this right, aircraft okay. because i'll be so able to go to 20s up. Uh, i probably won't i'll probably keep it in the mid to high teens um gotcha. Unless the you know weather predicates me going higher or something like that.
1: Gotcha. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you're are the specs on the aircraft going to be true to the original uh, legacy specs for the?
2: Uh... Hopefully better. I mean, the so the, this kit, these kits were produced twenty years ago. This um, this specific kit was made. Most of the parts were made in the Philippines, and I want to say it was September of two thousand that this kit was delivered. So this thing's been sitting here for 20 years. I mean, literally 20 years. Uh, and it hasn't been built. It, it went through the initial factory builders course of two weeks where they kind of put the spar in the wing and some, some major important things that the Air factory wanted you to do in house. So you couldn't screw them up. Uh. And <laughs> that was kind of kind of the major deal like closing out, um, the, the fuselage is actually two pieces and it's uh, bonded together in the middle and you can see the line in the middle. That's actually where it's bonded together. So things like that are done in the initial factory build of two weeks. So the original owner of this kit did those two weeks and then it sat for literally 20 years until I bought it uh, this past April, I think March or April.
1: So much, I was going to say, how much fabrication, uh, do you have to do yourself? I mean, it comes as a kit. So I'd imagine like the basic airframe and, you know, all that stuff is there, but like hydraulics and, you know, electrical, I mean, is that all part of the kit or do you have to actually fabricate a lot of that stuff yourself?
2: So, you know, as the EAA would classify, it's not a, um, what do they call it? A scratch build aircraft. It's a plans build airplane. So there's, there's manuals that say, Hey, this is where your hydraulic line should go. This is where your fuel line should be routed. And you stay true to most of that. But once again, this kit's 20 years old, technology has changed drastically. And materials has changed drastically. Um, and how they designed it twenty years ago isn't always the best. Um, so and new techniques have been found, uh, you know, better techniques. And so there's hundreds of examples where you look in the book and uh, the main guy here, Fred, um, Fred Hadlick, who owns AI systems. And why I'm out here, he's got all this knowledge of 20 years of working with these airplanes. I'll be looking at a chapter and say, okay, well, I need to do this, this, and this. And he'll come over and say, no, 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 that's not how we do it anymore. You want to do it like this um, because just the design has changed. Or um, even after they made this airplane 20 years ago, there's been uh, updates on how a structural piece should be set in. Or, for example, the nose gear uh, over center link used to be seven inches long. Well, they found out that um, it needed to be longer to help the system go over center more. So instead of seven inches, it's now seven inches and one eighth. And that just one eighth inch makes a big difference in how the nose gear yeah, um, and
1: the rigging and all actu- that stuff. Sure. Exactly.
2: And there's three different iterations of how they do the inner gear door actuator system and different springs or the nose gear door actuator with the upstop. Th- those have all been updated because they realized uh, as the years of this airplane flying, there were fail points. And so they had to re-engineer things to make it better. So that was definitely one thing I didn't really know when I bought this kit, that Hey, yeah, I've got a complete airplane kit, but uh, five to ten percent of the parts are no longer usable because wow, yeah. they're out they're outdated and they've updated with you know version two or version three um type of things
0: yeah and have you decided on what kind of cockpit or instrumentation are you are going to put in there is it going to be a traditional six-pack or
2: uh, definitely glass the i mean for for modern avionics it's it makes sense to go, I, I want this to be an IFR capable machine. And so uh, it'll be a Garmin G3X system with two of the big screens. I'll have a, a Garmin G5 backup. So in the case I have an electrical failure, um, it will have an electrical backup. Uh, there will be no vacuum system because no six pack. So no vacuum driven instruments, uh, but a fully IFR capable GPS, dual com, ADSB in and out, all that kind of stuff. I, I hate to call that the standard panel these days, but it kind of is for experimental builders. Um, resale value, it means a lot to have a glass panel. Um, and I'd say if you're spending this much building an airplane, you might as well put the nicest gizmos in there. Um, <laughs> not, not, not trying to break the bank. But this, I mean, the Lancer Legacy Aircraft is... Uh, a highly sought after airplane. You know, I I've had countless friends or people, you know, that have just pinged me online through social media and say, Hey, that I've been lusting over that airplane for the last 15 years. It is so cool that you got your hands on one and you get to build it how you want.
0: Yeah. Have you guys decided on the uh, final paint scheme yet?
2: Now, Well for now it's actually hopefully the body work's gonna be done sometime next week. All the body work, cowling, all that kind of stuff. And it's gonna go to paint for primer and it's gonna live in primer gray. It's gonna have two coats of primer gray, probably six months to a year. The um the thought is you wanna just prime it because there's things are gonna move, shift, trim, you know, I'm gonna have to change things. So I don't want to spend a buttload of money on a really nice paint job and then have it crack or have to change something um, or do more body work. So yeah, just primer for now. Um, but my wife is, and friends are avidly, you know, pinging me to say, oh, you should do this. You should do this. But uh, I'll say, look up the, the color uh, Porsche acid green. Um, <laughs> it's pretty bright. And that, that's, that's my wife's vote. That's my wife's vote. So. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, you Stand know, out for sure. You've been working on this aircraft now for you know, quite some time, and the only reason you have all this time on your hands is because you've taken an opportunity here in the, of, or in the midst of all of this crisis that's going on and with the industry and everything. You were able to kind of parlay this into time off. What can you tell me about that and the decision that, that you made to get take the LOA's and and what was the process like to achieve those?
2: So when looking at this kit, I realized it was going to be a big project, of course. You know, building an aircraft is no small undertaking. Um, and with COVID starting to happen and quarantine and all these things, I kind of thought to myself, what better way to quarantine than to just lock myself in a hangar for a month and just work? Um, I'm not going to contact with other people, all that kind of stuff. And so I, I decided when they offered a one month, three month, six month leave of absence, you know, the short-term leave of absence, I said, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll dip my toes in the water and I'll do a one month leave of absence. And, and I had recurrent training that month anyway. So my pay was kind of preserved. So I decided, okay. And so I did that and I was able to enjoy an entire month off. My pay was impacted, but not, you know, an insane pay cut. Uh, and I realized, well, hey, if I've got no obligation to work. I can, I can work on this airplane a lot more efficiently than having to stop every two or three days to go into work. So the next month, I took another one-month leave. I think that was June, um, and I came out to Oregon, and I uh, I came out here for I think two and a half weeks, maybe almost a month actually. And I realized I can work seven days a week, and you know, uninterrupted days. I don't have to worry about um, you know, crew scheduling or reserve or anything, um, I can just work. And so that worked out really well. And so that continued, they offered in July, one month, three months, six months. And I said, Hey, let's, let's dive into the water here. i the water's warm. And so I bid for a six month leave and I was able to get it. So, uh, it, absolutely insane to say the last time I touched a seven thirty seven was in March, I think. And I'm not going to touch it until year 2021. Um <laughs> it's it's crazy. Uh but with you know the timing of purchasing this kit and you know being able to put this much time into it is been such a weird random blessing in disguise. Of course the world is in turmoil and all these crazy things are happening, but I've been able to utilize my time. know, everybody quarantined. They've, they've learned a new skill. They've learned how to bake sourdough bread, you know, or all that kind of stuff. But I've managed to really utilize this time and get, get four years worth of work done in four months, uh, which is why I'm out here.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, my hat's off to you. That's because awesome. I really enjoy watching the videos that you post every day and seeing the process and, you know, I, I've always wanted to learn how to do Bondo and fiberglass work. So if you need an extra hand, you're willing to teach, yeah. man. <laughs>
2: come on up. <laughs> uh, it's, it's amazing how many people have kind of said the same thing. I, uh, one of my good friends asked if he could come up this weekend. To hey, you know, I I just want to get my hands dirty, man. I want to do something. You, you know, watching me learn things because I'm new to this. I knew nothing of carbon fiber and fiberglass and resins and flocks and micro, all these terms. I knew nothing of this six months ago. And so coming here to Redmond with AI systems, they've given me not only help with AMPs and mechanics around me, but also a knowledge that, like you said earlier, I I can use these. Skills for the rest of my life, which is fantastic, and I can speak educatedly about them.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'm really surprised that uh, Jennifer was okay with you being out in Oregon <laughs> for periods of time. <laughs> I, I <mean. laughs> oh man,
2: I, I've had a couple of friends mention that to, and even Fred, the owner of this place, is like, you know what? Uh, no way. There's no way my life would let me do that. And um, I, I have a, a very special support from her, and she knows that. Uh, the only thing I love more than aviation is her, and so as a close second, uh, she really understands that this is important to me, and and she gets it. She knows that I'm out here because I'm learning skills that can be used to finish this airplane, and you know for other things in life. And she wants to go flying, so the faster it gets done, the faster I can come home to her and take her flying. So that, that's go. also important to her too. But her support is huge in this, you know, and it's it is unique that I could say seen a month or' seeing two months, and she's okay with that. Yeah, mark cool. my
0: words, every day that goes by is going to be a check mark, and she's like, he owes me this and he <laughs> owes me that <laughs> oh yeah
2: <laughs> oh yeah we'll, we'll we'll take a nice vacation once we're allowed to again <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, for sure so you know, lately we've been talking about how the cares act is going to expire here, and October first. Uh, even in the last show that we recorded just the other day, um, we were talking about how many thousands of pilots were potentially going to be without a paycheck. Um, and, you know, we've been off and on with emails and text messages and Zoom meetings with unions and company management on well, what's going to happen? What are some ways to fix this? And Rob, you were fortunate enough to spend some time today on a Zoom call with the Legacy Airlines Union, uh, that they had a conference speaking about a new option that they're thinking about putting on the table to help prevent uh, massive furloughs, at least at Legacy Airlines. What can you tell me about what you learned? <laughs>
1: Well, um, the details are still kind of fuzzy in my mind, even though I sat three hours and listened to the uh, to the Zoom call. Um, There were a lot of questions that were asked, and um, some of them were answered. Um, There was a lot of questions that were really good questions that the uh, board just did not have an answer for. Um, So, um, needless to say, basically the furlough mitigation solution with, with uh, what the union came up with, is basically three parts. Uh, one is a permanent leave of absence, kind of like what we were we already have in place um, with different kind of metrics. So it allows a um, uh, few more people to be qualified for the uh, permanent leaves. And honestly, I, I couldn't tell you all the exact, but basically it comes down to like a point system. So if you're with the company a certain amount of t- years and a certain age, you get to a certain point, um you're eligible for the uh, permanent leave and there's some there's some financial incentive to uh, take that also um, and i I don't remember exactly what it was because I didn't even qualify and you and I don't qualify oh, so the uh, the details on that just kind of went in when you're now at the other um but there is there is something available. Um, the other l- LOA uh, or letter of agreement that they presented was a 50 option. So basically you're on one month normal schedule and you're off the second month. So basically, you know, you, you, you bid the schedule and you, you, you know, this would probably pretty good for John um, you know, work a whole month, earn a whole month of pay, keep your benefits, pay, pay for all your, Benefits and 401k gets uh, matched and everything, and, and they contribute. And then the second month, you're completely off, no obligation to the company or whatsoever. Um, so that was pretty good. And there's a couple of other little caveats to that, but that's basically the gist of that, um, that LOA. And then the third LOA was a, um, a zero line option. So basically, you will be a line holder with zero flying. And uh, that is also a great option because you get still get to keep your benefits and all the uh, travel and everything. Um, but keep in mind you're not getting paid, so you will have to pay for your pay your own benefits out of your pocket. However, the nice thing about that particular LOA was that you can actually pick up any open time, or a pilot could actually you can trade, not so much trade, but a pilot can drop his trip to your your line um so basically if a pilot had posted a a trip for a drop that he would that you can pick up his trip so that was a nice thing to have um so uh there was there was definitely a lot more detail details to the uh the uh the zero line zero i think i forget what they call i think it's called the zero line flying Um, thing but um that's basically the gist just of the whole three things and the the important thing though is that you have to bid bid for something so um,
2: so if you
0: bid for nothing and you end up getting furloughed you're just furloughed
2: but if you bid for the 50 50
0: option they would give it to you only
1: if you got furloughed or you would get it no matter what no, so if you bid for it and they were offering in that many 50-50 um, options that it got down to you, you would get it. So if you didn't bid it and it got down to you, but because you didn't bid it, it went to the next junior person to you, you would get furloughed. The, the person below you wouldn't. So
0: that's kind of tricky because... If you think you may get furloughed, you
1: might go for that. And then the guy that's at the
0: bottom of the list that didn't bid for anything, maybe he doesn't get furloughed at all.
1: Exactly. So one of the big questions that everybody was asking was, where is the exact 2500 furlough number? Because they came out with a, I don't know, an April 17 hire and actually had a guy's name with the seniority number. And that number is different from what you and I came up with, right? you know, doing the math, a couple, whatever, whenever they shuffled the whole seniority yeah, list week. at the beginning of the month. So um, according to the new, new guy, I'm only like 200 numbers. Um, junior to that guy. So, which honestly, it wasn't all that far off what we calculated before, but you know, I'm I'm closer to the being out of that bullseye <laughs> with the new numbers than I was before. Um I you know, honestly, the obvious the, the biggest thing, the saving grace in all this is gonna be the ca- the cares to act.
0: Yes, yep. which that just uh, came out today. And uh I have a little bit on that. According to a rooters.com dot com article. Uh, that came out earlier today, a group of Senate Republicans on Wednesday backed extending the $25 billion payroll assistance program for U.S. airlines after warnings that carriers may be forced to cut tens of thousands of jobs without government action, according to the letters seen by Reuters. The airline stocks moved sharply higher on the news, which was the first reported By Reuters, and then shares of American Airlines were up 8.9% in the afternoon uh, of trading, while shares of United Airlines rose 6.3%. So the article goes on, and I'll put a link in the show notes uh, for the article that I'm referring to, indicating that this is going to extend the CARES Act six months.
1: So, yep instead of october so, 1st yeah there was there was a, a speaker from uh, the national legacy airline national i guess you want to call it uh that that was able to give his um his spiel about his feelings on the cares 2 act and there was a lot that was said and he made some pretty good sense it was kind of re- refreshing to hear him talk after all of the doom and gloom loa stuff that we that we've been hearing uh, or been you know waiting to hear and then finally hear it and then you know if, if you have the same sentiments as I did I was kind of like Man, this isn't as good as I thought it was going to be you know so when when uh I, and I forgive me I don't know any names so I'm not going to say I'm not even going to guess them but um, when he when he spoke he basically had a lot of confidence that uh, it's going to pass um you know judging by uh, just backed it up by the article that you just read and another thing, you know, he went on to explain that, um, obviously, if the CARES-2 Act is enacted, then oh. that would, you know, cancel out all the LOAs that we just talked about, oh. which is great. And that so would,
2: would, it, would it cancel them out or just postpone them? Isn't it, it kind of makes them mute to use in the future.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's a poor choice of word on my part. Yeah, they would postpone them for sure. And so basically the CARES Act would extend the current CARES Act for six more months. And I forget where that puts us, but I think it's somewhere April 1st, I think A- I'm, I'm April or something correctly. like that. So, um, you know, the the whole intent of the cares to act is to, you know, obviously keep people employed and not furlough. And hopefully, um, you know, with the way things are going with vaccines and and people get hopefully getting back to normal, that we'll get more people flying again. And, you know, we won't have to furlough or go through any of these LOAs. And then another great point that he made was that, you know, um, it was it was kind of a blessing in the skies for our company or and, and union to actually wait this long into the process to actually come up with these LOAs. Um, one reason was that all the other companies already have something in writing and they're already enacting those things and if the Cares Act 2 comes in some of the strings that are attached with the Cares 2 Act may not make those companies eligible because of the furloughs and all the all the stuff that they're already going through oh wow for the Cares the Cares funding yeah. yeah so you know he he said he's obviously you know doesn't know all of that stuff in detail but there's a good chance that that funding won't be available to some of the companies um, and somebody brought up the idea of getting the CARES to act, getting the CARES to funding, and also trying to uh, file for bankruptcy, or not getting the CARES to funding and filing for bankruptcy. And he said, Well, think of it this way: if you try to, if you don't accept the CARES to funding and then you go apply for bankruptcy, they're gonna say well, we had money available to you. Right. Why didn't you take it? Right. <laughs> you know, and, and now you want to renegotiate all your contracts? Well, it would that's lower the credit rate. Money
0: was- Yeah, the credit mm-hmm. for sure. It would it would, it would so, ding them a couple points there, and that's probably not something that right they want to do. So you know, it's interesting to hear all of the options that we have to us, uh, and I know yeah. that. It, it goes well beyond the scope of aviators out there. I mean, where we're talking yeah, sure about how many pilots are going to be on the street if furloughs start to be a necessity. But we haven't even kind of scratched the surface on the number of the other departments, uh, flight attendants, mechanics, yeah. uh, gate agents, customer yeah, service it's reps. It's far I mean, reaching for sure and that and that's just within the company then how many others will be affected you know city employees yeah. and everything else so and i think that a 6 month extension would really help because i think by then we'll be a little closer to having this whole thing kind of calm down uh, a little closer to having a potential vaccine uh or a potential immunization towards this thing and i think yeah. more and more people will start to put in place the safety protocols that will make it a little safer for us to be out and about and not under this lockdown
1: and also think about like you know the the loa that john's on uh, the LOA the uh voluntary
2: um yeah, short-term, short-term term leave yeah.
1: and then also the permanent leaves you know, all the guys that didn't qualify for permanent leaves now in six months with the extension, there's a lot more guys that would qualify for that. Cause mm-hmm. there's an age, there's an age minimum for that. So now that's going to add to the qualified people who can take the permanent leave. Plus you're going to allow actually the actual, uh, guys that are retiring six months, more retirements to go through. So there's, there's, you know, there's a lot to be said with this new CARES Act that how it'll help us. So Yeah, we'll have to see. I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I, I hope it comes because yeah. Uh yeah, I I don't know, man. I, it hasn't been I, voted in is,
0: yet, but you know, the fact no. that so many Republican senators are backing this plan really is going to be a huge turning point i think and in the days
1: to what come- happened john did you get a Lance Air bite there in front of you
2: yeah i did i just <laughs> i walked into the horizontal stab earlier this week oh, i scraped, dude. scraped my nose on the a gear uh, door rail yes yeah. stainless steel I, is uh, an aluminum Ugh.
1: i gotta yeah. tell you when i i was a crew chief in the air force and uh, i worked on the uh, f-111 raven the aardvark and the f-16 which they call the Falcons, um, you know. We 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 call them uh, we call them Vipers uh, in house at NF16. We call them Vipers. So if anybody came into the uh, you know to the break room with something like that, we'd be like, "Oh, you got a viper bite, huh?" <laughs> or, or a raven bit you. Yeah.
2: yeah, there's. I I want to say there's at least two or three places in this plane where. Uh, my and one other guy's blood is in it and go to watch. No, oh. no, no, no. That blood stays. You don't wash that blood off. So. <laughs> blood is tears,
1: baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that stays at the plane. Yeah. Yeah, you got to go out there to and buy some pool noodles and start putting them on all the sharp edges and stuff like that so you don't hurt <laughs> yeah, yourself. Yeah,
2: yeah. I got uh, green highlighter <laughs> tape go. on that. Yeah, oh, I gave okay, myself there you go. a solid black eye. Oh, mm. my God. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. As long as you don't break an arm or building.
0: something, something crazy like that, you can keep
2: working. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Just put some
0: Windex on it, you'll be fine.
1: Oh
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I think I, I I've only drilled into two fingers last week. And I mean <laughs> but I mean you're you're sanding every day, and you know you're sore yeah. and, power and, tools it's, it's, are only
0: for the morning by four yeah. p.m. No more
1: power tools. That's the rule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One, one of the other th- as you just brought up something that that reminds me of, of of my days as a as an aircraft mechanic. You know, I I used to train other mechanics on uh, how to you know do certain tasks and stuff like that. And one of the things I was really meticulous about, and I think you heard about this, Tony, was safety wire. You know, there is oh, yeah. a way to do safety wire, and when you cut it and and you know uh, finish it off and bend it and everything like that. It, i i can't tell you how important it is to do it the right way because you know one day i'm out there giving this airplane a wash dirty f-16 whatever and it's grease mm-hmm. all over the place handprints and i'm you know with you know goggles on you know you got to be safe you can't get any of that joy soap in your eyes or on your skin because you know it might actually make you clean but um You know, I'm sitting here washing it with gloves and everything, and if you go over, like, a landing gear part or something that the safety wire wasn't tucked in, oh! (laughs) (laughs) Improperly sliced, you know, 30 stitches later. Yeah. And, you know, ER visit because, you know, you got it right on the vein. Oh, my gosh.
2: Yeah, carbon, carbon. Like, everyone always sees shiny carbon fiber parts for their cars, motorcycles, and they're, oh, it's this beautiful gloss. But carbon fiber in its essence is really Massy ugly and it's stuff. really yeah. scratchy. Yeah. I mean, I've yeah. got countless, I mean, yeah, just snake bites with just yeah. shards. Yeah. The edge And it of, itches yeah. forever. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I it's yeah. Every day I get, you know, red dots everywhere on my arms, laying up inside stuff. And it's uh, a, yeah. it's a constant battle. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
0: Well, you're handling it with stride, my friend. <laughs> 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 you got, you got stains. <laughs>
1: uh how long does it do you think it's going to take you to finish this what do you have a a target date in mind do you even yeah so
2: yeah i mean the the goal is a day versus
1: dollar thing uh
2: yeah the money is obviously a factor um fortunately the the big ticket items are mostly purchased you know the engine the propeller the airframe um And then a lot of the work out here is going to be kind of wrapped up here in the next couple of weeks. Um, The last big ticket thing is going to be all the avionics, um, all the Garmin avionics, wires, electronics, uh, stuff like that. So I'll say the majority of the finances are committed to this. Uh, There's still obviously there's always more to go. And
1: I was going to say the avionics, is that something you're going to actually install yourself or is that you're going to have an avionics shop do that?
2: Uh, I'm going to be doing that.
1: Nice. Gotcha.
2: Yeah. So once again, I've got a a good friend in Chicago uh, at my airport that uh, is well-versed in avionics and he's built a bunch of RVs and he, he helped me with the majority of my panel, uh, my RV six. Um, But no, we'll be, you know, I, and him, uh, he'll be kind of showing me all the tricks and stuff. So I'll be building all the harnesses uh, and doing all that kind of stuff. So, um, and I'm going with a 24, yeah. 24 volt system in this airplane for better reliability, better engine starting, things like that. So there'll be some nuances. I'll be running two alternators, uh, but single battery. Um, so yeah, there's, there's still a long ways to go and I'll be vlogging those every day. As I, even when I get back to Chicago, I mean, I've been going every day. I'm out here. Uh, once I do get back to Chicago, obviously I, I might take a day or two off to spend with my wife, you know, Jen will probably appreciate that. Um, uh, but yeah, hey. so my original goal uh, before I had this six months or eight months off from work, I wanted to have it flying by the end of next year. The end of 2021 was my goal. Um, as I've been able to get a lot of work done out here, a lot more than I've expected to, uh, I've kind of quietly to myself uh, been moving up that goal. So, I mean, you hear, heard it here first, uh, you know, on uh, this podcast, the, um, the goal now is really, I, I want to be, flying this and racing this in Reno, uh, 2021, September, uh, uh next year. So Reno was canceled. Reno is, the invite. Canceled. I want to come see, I yeah. think that'll be a yeah. live
0: broadcast for the squawk.
2: I did there you go, man. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So uh, yeah, the, the goal, uh, is to race it in Reno, uh, September of next year, which would have me hopefully flying this thing or ready to fly by spring of 2021. Um, so built and flying by spring of 2021 racing in Reno fall of 2021. And then, um, uh, judged at Oshkosh, uh, in 2022. Wow.
1: wow. That's,
0: That's great. Awesome, and, man. And That's, and so you're going to have to transport that aircraft to Chicago. And how's that process? Is it just like a, a semi truck that shows up and, and it fits in the back of a trailer or how does it work?
2: I'll be well. driving it myself. Um, so once it goes through paint, uh, as you can see here, you know, the wings on this airplane come off. Um, and so there's a, a large spar that uh, has two, two bolts that hold it to the uh, fuselage of the airplane. So that can come off. And then I've got a cradle uh, for that. So that'll be uh, easy to put into the back of a, a large 26-foot moving truck. And then the fuselage will be on that rotisserie I talked about earlier, and then that'll be suspended in the air, uh, on a slight angle in the back of the truck, the engine will actually be coming back off the airplane and then put it back in this crate, uh, for when I drive it to Chicago. So, um, once that's all ready to go, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'll, uh, throw on, uh, some lovely podcasts and, uh, start driving for about 30 hours from, uh, Redmond, Oregon to Chicago.
0: That's awesome.
1: Well, I was going to say episode 52 will get you at least uh, into Nevada or something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Well, you know, Boise,
2: maybe Boise. 52 Boise.
0: episodes about 2 hours each. I think uh, you'll have plenty to spare. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's I mean this is um when I'm done here uh it's going to obviously a huge point uh in the build as far as all the exterior body work's going to be done. Mm-hmm. And that was my goal when I had this plan. I said, "Hey, I want to be around guys that have done body work they've done composite work they've done all that stuff and somebody that knows lancer and legacies specific and that's why i chose kind of ai systems here and i'm working with them uh to get a lot of this stuff done because so many examples of something that i wouldn't have known how to do or i would have done it wrong just because the manual says to do it this way but technique has changed after so many years um so it's nice to have that. And then when I go to Chicago, I'm gonna have a plethora of friends, uh avionics guys, uh AMPIAs, guys that just know a lot about um aircraft maintenance, building, racing, all that kind of stuff. Because I'm the goal of this build is to have a fast, comfortable cross-country cruiser for my wife and I and friends. Uh the secondary goal is to race it in Reno. So uh, I'm building it to be comfortable and fast. But the um, uh, secondary goal is to be really fast at Reno. And you, you had talked earlier about specs. Um, when this airplane came out, uh, you know they had certain speeds and altitudes. And so, just kind of throw out some numbers. My goal with this airplane is 240 knots. That's that's my goal. Um, and I think that's very achievable with what I'm doing. Um, but I'm also only just a normal, you know, a naturally aspirated engine, not turbocharged. I don't have high compression pistons because I want reliability. I want this thing to be very reliable and usable all the time. Um, but I still want to get as fast as I can go with this, you know, with this particular airplane, which I think I'll be able to do. Uh, I think 240 knots is really attainable and that, but that you got to set a goal, you know, a timeline and a goal on performance. So that's, that's what I'm set up for now.
0: Well, wow. well, I wish you all the best, and uh, hats off to uh, AI systems for uh, working with you. I'll put a uh, link in the show notes uh, so that uh, anyone interested in finding out a little bit more about them can do so at the bottom there of the show notes. There'll be a link. Okay, and can people mm-hmm. check you out on Facebook or Instagram? Yeah, so. Or-
2: uh- Yeah. On Instagram, my build, I, every day that I build, I'll be, I'm doing videos and pictures, uh, short descriptions of what I'm doing. I try and throw time-lapse, uh, videos in there. Also, I do a lot of explaining of certain things and, uh, some terminology and I'm learning as I go too. uh, fortunately I've kind of got that angel over my shoulder, watching me to make sure that, um, as I learn, I'm doing it in the right way. But, uh, I try and convey that education onto the audience as well, because I, I think that's important. As I learn, I'd like everybody around me to learn. And fortunately, I've got some really good feedback from uh, people saying, you know, they, they really enjoy watching it. They, they, Uh, like learning about these things. They may never do it in their own life, but they they really enjoy being a part of it, you know, whether it be virtually or, um, you know, I've had, I have too many friends that want to help with the airplane bill when I get to Chicago. And as I'm sure Rob knows, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen sometimes, especially, you know, I say, hey, you're more than welcome to come help, but it's going to be hours of boredom by five minutes of me asking for wrenches or, hey, go sand that for the next five hours. Oh, my arms are tired. I don't care. Uh, Keep going. (laughs) Yeah. i know and where can yep. they
0: find you on instagram what's your handle
2: yeah so uh lancer underscore legacy um is that and then uh heck i not i even forgot my instagram my instagram name is uh, i think it's john gruber 85
0: it is uh yeah
2: john, yeah john gruber 85 <laughs> but yeah the airplane is being documented under uh lancer underscore legacy and i i share them both on instagram on and facebook um when I'm doing them both. So, uh, I assume once I'm done building, uh, I'll keep that account active to show kind of the life of this airplane as I fly it and race it and do those kind of things. And, you know, and once all the sponsors start rolling in, you know, the, the followers are going to just, you know, the thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers, you know, I, I mean, it's going to be hard to keep up with it.
0: You know, when you figure that formula out, please share it with <laughs> me because
2: I've been yeah. at this for a while and it's just not happening, yeah. but oh, well, yeah. me and my humble, small crew of followers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, yeah, it's a weird game trying to do that. I I'm doing it, you know, the main goal was to document and it makes me happy. It does make me smile to see people enjoying it and uh, kind of coming along for the ride. It It's pretty cool.
0: Well, you know, it's been wonderful hearing about your journey in aviation, how you got started, you know, how your path took you through education, through jobs, through flight instructing to be a Czech airman. And now 737 Pilot, having the time off in order to streamline your build here on this, what's turning out to be an amazing experience for you. And my hat's off to you. Congratulations, John. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. And I just want to say thank you.
2: I appreciate you guys having me and uh, a lot of fun talking with you guys about this and uh, yeah, the whole career.
0: And I also want to say thank you to all the frontline workers out there, all the doctors and nurses, pharmacists, EMTs, medical techs, firefighters, law enforcement, grocery store employees, truck drivers, Amazon workers, and of course, all of the airline employees that show up every day and provide the essential services that they do. Now that we have good news coming through the line here in aviation, we want to keep that going. We want to thank aviators like Rob and John and Captain Roger uh, that get to sit down and have these discussions with me and talk about aviation, this this passion that we have for it. Are you enjoying Squawk Eye Dent? please review the show on your favorite podcast player and let us know how we're doing. We also respond to DMs and emails, so feel free to reach out and send us a line, a a question, a thank you, or even a topic that you'd like... To hear us talk about here on the show you can do that by visiting our website that's over at www.aviatortony.com. that's alpha victor the number eight romeo tango oscar november.com there you can check out episode cover art that is produced for each episode you can check out photos from the flight line and the guest book tab which has photos from our guests and their amazing journeys Facebook and Instagram users can search Squawk Ident Podcast and YouTube and Twitter users can search Aviator Tony and Squawk Ident. If you're listening to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would really help us out greatly if you could take a moment and leave us a review. Make sure that you subscribe and share the podcast with someone who you might think would enjoy it. One final thank you to John Gruber for sharing his journey with us and thank you for taking the time to listen to this grateful aviator. Keep the dirty side down, be safe, and take care of each other. See ya. (laughs) Adios. Ciao.